Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here with you all today. Good to see everyone who's somewhere back with us. Good to see Sal this morning and Bernice. Glad uh, they're doing better. It's, it's a scary thing when your body's not doing what you want it to be doing. So glad there. Bernice has got her cast off. She's feeling better with her leg. Sal's here today. And things like that, you know, when your body's not feeling good, it makes you appreciate the things you can trust in, the things you know aren't going to change. And that's what we're going to study today, God's unchanging word. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 12, from verses 38 through 45. And I'm going to read these verses before we get started, and then we'll go back through them one at a time. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 45 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given, it, given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of, Nin the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. All right, so there's the, the stage setter for, for our, uh, what we're going to be studying this morning. And as I went through that, a couple questions uh, you might have to uh, think about as we go through this. And maybe some things that jumped out to you like they did to me is, are you a bad person if you ask God for a sign? It says that they were a wicked and adulterous generation because they asked for a sign. Does it mean that you are wicked and adulterous? What is the sign of the prophet Jonah? He mentioned some, it seems like kind of a foreign idea. What is that sign of the prophet Jonah? And what is the meaning of the unclean spirits? And we'll hopefully answer these questions as we go through this morning. So for our outline, we'll be first looking at asking for a sign, then the sign of Jonah. We'll look at Nineveh and the queen of the south, and then the unclean spirits to finish up. So verse 38 read, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. So you might have read what they asked. You know, they wanted to see a sign from him and, and said, You know, Jesus, why, why did you react like that? I mean, you are kind of new around here. These guys are still trying to get to know you. And, and why did you react to them so harshly? I mean, they just, they just want to know who you are, right? They want to, they want to know about you. They, they want to see that you're really from God. So they want a sign. Is, is that so bad to ask? I mean, you are God in the flesh. Well, you have to back up and look at the context of this chapter. Because, because to understand the question, are you evil if you've asked God for a sign, it helps to understand what was really going on. In this chapter so far, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, so far, Jesus has already had the issue with them about the Sabbath. And it started out with his disciples picking grain and the Pharisees coming up and saying, 
uh, that's not lawful. You can't do that. Jesus defends himself, and he says, ends up saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. He makes that defense. He makes that claim, and it really gets, starts to get them fired up because he's making a claim that he is deity. He is claiming to be equal with God. And then he goes on to heal a man on the Sabbath in the synagogue in front of everyone. He goes in there among them, and they, they try to trip him up. They try to trick him. And Jesus, again, defends himself, heals a man's hand on the Sabbath, and really sticks it to him. And after that, it says in verse, in verse 11, excuse me, in verse 14, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So they had already seen a miracle where they, you know, uh, let's say a man walked in here with a withered hand. Right in front of them all, he healed him right there. And then they went out. Somehow they left that situation and said, all right, we got to get rid of this guy. I, I don't understand how you could get there, but hopefully, you know, there's a couple things we can talk about that will help us uh, to make sure we're not that kind of mindset. Because that is the wicked and adulterous mindset that he's talking about. And so Jesus is, after that, accused of having the power of Beelzebub, that he was doing these miracles because he had the power of the devil alongside him. So this is what Jesus is dealing with when he's asked the question, Jesus, show me a sign. We want to see a sign. It wasn't just an innocent question where they were seeking to know God, seeking to see who this man was. They were already bent on getting rid of him. And so that's why he responded the way he did. So the question uh, Am I evil if I ask for a sign from God? I'm going to say no because of what we've already said. It was because of the intent of their heart, which is why Jesus went after them so hard. But I would, I would caution you because we have a couple examples in Scripture. The first one I'm going to look at is a man named Gideon from Judges chapter 6. And if you remember the situation with Gideon, God called Gideon. He called him to serve him, called him out to a work to be brave, and he needed a sign. First, to confirm that it was a message from God. Okay. He did, he got a sign. And he was like, wow, awesome. Okay, great. Okay, one more. I'm going to set out this fleece. And I want it to be wet around the fleece. And in the morning, uh, I want it to be wet around the fleece, but the fleece will be dry. Okay, so he wakes up the morning. Wow, it's great. It, the, the miracle happened. You know, the, the, the uh, unnatural event happened of having the, the ground around the fleece wet, but the fleece was dry. And then he was like, okay, got it, I, I see, but, but don't be mad at me, uh, just one more. And then he wanted the, the fleece to be wet, but the ground around it to be dry the next morning. And really, what we see from Gideon is not necessarily like, it's not a great example. Gideon was coming to God and was just like, oh, okay, one more. Just, I just need one more sign. I need to make sure that you're with me. And really, it was a sign of his weakness. Okay, so let's keep that in mind. Because sometimes when we think, you know, if I just had this, if I just knew this, or, or I was just sure about this in my mind, God cleared this up for me, maybe gave me a sign, maybe spelled something in my Cheerios, then I would be more clear. But from Gideon's, from Gideon's example, it didn't really seem to help him that much. It seemed to just kind of be a problem he had in his own mind. Okay, so what's another situation we can look at? Luke 16, verse 27 or the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And he said, Then I request of you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. So what's happened is the rich man is in uh, torments, and he is saying, you know, I need you to go warn my family about this so they don't come here. He says, 
So then I requested you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, speaking of Lazarus. For I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment as well. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear, him, let them, hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, for if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. There is something inside of us that makes us think that if I just had this, then I would be different. But the message we're getting from most of Scripture is that God wants us to trust in what He has revealed. And that's hard. That is a reality that takes a, a daily faith, right? That's, that's what faith is about. Faith is not seeing because... You don't have to have, the scripture says that you don't have to have faith when you've actually seen. That is why faith is such an important part of our lives, right? So we think that something's going to be different if we had something else. But really, we learn from scripture that we need to learn to trust in what God has already given to us. So we need to practice leaning on God's word. And we know that this was kind of a, a key issue the Jews had because in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, it reads, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. It was characteristic of how they operated. I mean, they did ask Jesus this, so maybe it wasn't sincere, but it seemed to be something they just perpetually were about. They just, they request a sign. That's how they are. And Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but get this, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The reality is, if we really want to know God, he said it's, it's not necessarily going to come from getting some special sign or getting some special wisdom. And to others, it's going to seem foolish because of that. You know, people mock God, and I've heard of people standing on debate saying, you know what, if God's really real, come on, let's go. I offer myself as a sacrifice. Take me, if God's real. Come at me, God. And he'll, they'll mock God. They'll say, oh, see, he's not real. He has chance. If he's really God, he would have done something about me. But the reality is God's not going to, to kill someone or sacrifice them to satisfy their own curiosity. God is who he is, and he has revealed his word, and it will be immature to be petty in the ways that some people try to treat God. And so our responsibility then is to look at God's word, to look at our Savior and the gospel as the power of God and the power of salvation. So the big issue is their motive. And if you're, if you're trying to you know, seek a sign to, to seek God, don't let that discourage you. Don't stop seeking God just because you, you, know, you feel like you can't, you know, can't get a sign. Keep seeking God. The Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's where that faith comes in. And to remember to lean on what God has given us because heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, as Jesus said, will not pass away. Okay, verse 39. Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So we know now why, that, why he calls them an adulterous generation. 
Because they claimed to serve God. They claimed to be God's religious leaders. And here they were plotting to kill him, right? So it's pretty obvious. Like a, a spouse cheating on another spouse. They're unfaithful to them. He's saying, these Jews are not faithful to me. To the God they claim to serve. Okay, so what is this sign of the prophet Jonah? He says, I will give them one more sign. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah. What is that? Verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He says the sign that I'm going to give them is the last thing I have to give. That is my life. And if you guys will not take that, if that will not be enough for you, that is the last you're going to get. And it's interesting because we have the same sign given to us. And the reality is we can reject it today or we can accept it today, just like them. So that sign of the prophet Jonah is that as you remember from the story of Jonah, as Jonah was sent to preach to the, to the people of Nineveh, He's like, nope, I'm going out of here. And he got on a boat to go really as far as he knew away from that place as possible. As far as they knew in the known world uh, was Tarshish. He took off the opposite direction. God sent the storm. And, and eventually he said, you know, guys, the only way to stop this, it's, this storm being caused is because of me. So you've got to throw me in the ocean. And so they do. They throw him in the ocean. And the, God sent a great fish to swallow him. I have no idea if that's what it looked like. But it was a big fish that was able to take him in. And, you know, a lot of descriptions, uh, pictures about him, show him sitting kind of cross-legged inside that thing, all comfortable with a little fire lit. But I kind of think of it more like uh, when, you, when you catch a fish and it's, you clean it, you know, you go to fillet it, and it's got sardines and uh, crawdads and other stuff inside its stomach. They're all squished up. And I don't know. But it was enough for him to pray to God to forgive him. He repented. And he ends up coming out of that fish to go on to serve God, right? The comparison here is that Jesus, when he was crucified, was three days in the grave, in the heart of the earth. And then he rose again to walk uh, uh, in a man that was alive. And so this is the connection, that, that sign of the prophet Jonah. They knew about that from the Old Testament. And he said, you'll have that. He drew a connection for them, you'll have that. And I just want us to think for a second about Jesus' perspective during all of this. How frustrated it must have made him to be doing everything you can for the people who are trying to kill you, and yet they are still just bold-faced and obtuse with you. In Matthew 23, verse 37, we read about some of the things he was feeling as he was preaching to them. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stone those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. He says, I've wanted so long to take care of you. I'm here for you. I don't want to be here. This hurts being in this life where you have all these problems, where you get viruses and you get pandemics and you get all this junk. I hate this. But they didn't want it. These people rejected him right in his face. He said, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. How frustrated he must have been preaching to them, showing them miracles and having them turn on him and reject him still. Okay, verse 41. 
He goes on to say, The men of Nineveh will rise up in your judgment, and the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So is he saying that, that the Ninevites are going to be the judges? Well, we know that Jesus is the judge in the final day, so that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, they exemplified the correct response to preaching. And they are thus making the Jews look bad, right? Because a greater than Jonah is here, he said. So if the people of Nineveh repented with Jonah, this guy who didn't even want to be there, and he was ready to have them condemned in his heart, if they repented from that warning from God, you have a much greater Jonah here right now with you. And that, because of that, because of their response, they're condemning the Jews by their own example. By them showing that it can be done and it should be done in response to God's message. So the connections we have so far kind of between Jonah and Jesus is that Jonah ran from God's call. But Jesus willfully came. He chose to come down to earth. Uh, Jonah was coerced into his work. You know, might say, oh man, he was his choice to get up on land. Well, I, would, I think anyone would at least go out there and, and do the job, quote-unquote, if you're swallowed by a fish and then spit up. But Jesus willfully served. Jonah hated the Ninevites, and he did, not want to go, he did not want them to be saved. But Jesus died for those who killed him, John 3.16. And Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and like Jonah, Jesus was a type of Jonah, and that he was three days and three nights in the grave. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon he is here. So he's piling on with what he just referenced. So that condemnation that he was talking about of, of someone who was willing to hear wisdom. Someone who was willing to hear reason and knowledge from God. The queen of the south Responded, so why don't the Jews? A much greater than Solomon, one who had great wisdom was Solomon, but Jesus was from was God in the flesh, so he was infinitely wise. And by the Queen of the South's example, that was going to condemn them because she was willing to hear. And we read about this situation in First Kings chapter ten. It says, Now when the now when the Queen of Sheba, that is the same thing as the Queen of the South, heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are your servants. Are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom? 
Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. This was a woman from far off who had heard about the wisdom of Solomon. So, man, she's got wise men. She's got her own, her own, uh, her own staff who consult her in all of this. And yet when she comes to Solomon, she says, they didn't even tell me half about what was true about you. They knew about these scriptures. They knew about the great Solomon. And Jesus says, a greater than Solomon is with you. He has the wisdom that you need. He's making you look foolish in front of everybody, in your own synagogues. And you're not listening to him. They knew about this. If even the queen of the south, someone from far off, can declare the praises of the Lord when they see what God has done, how did they not see Jesus, the Son of God? So in summary, the Gentiles listened to wisdom and repented, and they were working with so much less, and the Jews won't even obey their own, obey their own Messiah, and that just makes them look bad. Okay, so our last section, verse 43. It reads, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man... He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other, st other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. So in, throughout this chapter, he's been talking to them. They tried to say, you know what, you do all this by the power of the devil. And he's kind of drawing back to that and saying, no, if anyone is working with the power of the devil, it's you. And he connects it to their way they polish themselves. They get things clean and tidy and, and swept in order. You know, they're supposed to be wise and clean and, and holy. But really, he says, that is empty, perfect stomping grounds for, us, for an evil spirit and his buddies. They're going to come back worse than them before because you just cleaned it out and made it ready for them. And so he says, no, the reality is with this generation, with you guys, you think you're all this and that. You think you've cleaned it all up. But if anything, you're the one serving the devil because of your hard heart and because of the way you have not filled your lives with good in response. And that is the message for us. Uh, this is one of the, the things I think is very practical for us. Because in our Christian lives, we have to fill our lives with good and not just get rid of the bad. And you know, this hit home for me when I was, I remember sitting in my sophomore English class in high school. And you know, that start, you, when you're younger, you have a, uh, I say younger, I'm very young still, but when you're, when you're a child, you have, you operate on what they, I uh, forget the term it is for, but it's basically do's and don'ts, you know. It's like, it's like a dog. You train a dog. Do that. Don't do that. It's, it's very simple. It's, it's, uh, there's only th certain things you can comprehend, right? You don't understand the big picture of things. But when I started to realize this, it just kind of hit me one day, you know, that, that it's not just about what we do in here. It's not just about being able to do the right things for a worship service like we do. It's not just about getting the evil things out of your life. This verse hit home for me because, you know, I realized God wants me to be a good dude. He wants me to be someone that other people, um, he wants me to be someone that other people see as a good person, not just at church, you know, 
It's not just enough to come here and, and do what I did in the worship service. For some reason, it took me a long time to realize that. But I want to encourage the younger people here that don't forget to add the good things to your life to fill that gap. You're doing an awesome job. Keep it up. But don't now forget to keep adding. You know, that the scripture, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, self-control, all those things. To add good things to our lives. And, and we have a great example of that around here. We've, you know, several have taken up an effort to get things down to the shelters, to provide for those who have need. And I know a lot of you do those things in your own personal time, you know. And, and it's different for everyone. Everyone has a different skill set, different resources. You know, at a young age, you're limited. It's not like you have a home where you can invite everyone over. Uh, your parents might not like that, and that might get you into more trouble than, than good. So just remember, don't be afraid to start adding good things to your life, because that is an important part of our spiritual development. So in summary, a couple things I want us to take away from this are that instead of waiting for a sign from God, let's dive into his word. 2 Peter 1 verse 9 says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Maybe you're in a dark place and you feel like you need a sign. The word should be that light to you until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That morning star is Venus of the north. It's the last star you can see in the sky before you know, the sun comes up and the rest go away. It's that day star, that morning star. He says, you know, it may be dark. It may be... Con- difficult. But if you hang on, you hold on to God's word, that last star shining, that Venus of the north, that north star, that north star, that day dawns, you will see the only one left standing. You will see truth. You will understand if you hold on to God's word. And the other thing we learned is that we need to get rid of the sin in our lives and fill that void with good. And that is our lesson for this morning. Thank you for your attention. I hope some of the things we've studied today have been helpful for you. Um, It was a good study for me and great things for me to to remember, especially as we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're shut down. It's good to remember that I need to still find ways to fill my life with good. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.